Welcome to the About Her podcast. I'm your host, Abigail O'Neill. Today, I chat with Sam Alberry about singleness, sexuality, and biblical friendship. Sam Alberry is a pastor, apologist, author, and speaker, and he is the author of Is God Anti-Gay? Seven Myths About Singleness, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? And most recently, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. He has also written extensively for a variety of organizations, including the Gospel Coalition and Desiring God. I had the wonderful privilege of learning under Sam as a student at Cedarville University while he served as visiting professor during the 2017-2018 academic year. During this time, I grew to greatly admire Sam and appreciate his unique voice on the topics we will discuss today. In this particular episode, we will merely scratch the surface of his insights on singleness, sexuality, and friendship, but I highly, highly, highly recommend purchasing a copy of Seven Myths About Singleness if you would like to consider his biblical insights on these topics further. I must humbly admit that my own perspective of singleness was radically altered after reading this convicting and compassionate book, and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to share a conversation with Sam with you today. It is my hope and prayer that this episode will help you and I continue to develop a robust biblical understanding of singleness, sexuality, and friendship, regardless of our marital status. If, after listening to this introduction, you are already tuning it out and you have already questioned whether or not this episode is for you, I encourage you to listen on. This episode is for the single woman, the dating woman, the engaged woman, the married woman, or the widowed woman. As Sam will later state, those who are single have a stake in the health of the marriages in their church family and those who are married have a stake in the health of the singleness of those who are single. It's part of what belonging to one another truly involves. Sam will later clarify for us what he means by this statement, but if you truly believe that the church is a family, and I hope you do, then this issue is for you. I admit that as a married woman, I did not realize just how big these stakes are, and I know I still have so much to learn, but I hope that you will learn alongside me starting today. Now, let's chat with Sam Alberry about singleness, sexuality, and biblical friendship. Welcome, Sam, to the About Her podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today. Let's just start with having you share a little bit about yourself, your story, and why you feel personally compelled to write and teach on topics like sexuality and singleness. Sure. So I'm I'm British. Uh, became a Christian when I turned eighteen, and um, have been in different forms of pastoral ministry for the last sort of fifteen to twenty years, um, mm-hmm. and have done a lot of thinking on singleness, sexuality, because those are issues that have been very close to home for me. Um, I was same-sex attracted when I came to faith, and I've been single since coming to faith. Um, so I've had to sort of think these things through just to figure out what it looks like for me to, to follow Jesus um, in my own context. But then also, as a having served as a pastor, these are big issues in the church, and a lot of people face these issues in very different ways. So I wanted to make sure I had it thought through and could hopefully care for people well on these things. How would you personally define the term singleness? Because I think it's often assumed that singleness is just the absence of marriage, and I don't think that's accurate. So do you have a better definition to propose? <laughs> yeah, it certainly is the absence of marriage, but it's it's more than that. Um, it, mm-hmm. It's good to define it by not just by the absence of something, but by the presence of something. So in in the scripture, singleness can be a, a way of um, being single-minded in our, in our devotion to Jesus. Um, it can open up opportunities to serve that we wouldn't have had otherwise. It's a, a wonderful way of reflecting the, the sufficiency and goodness of Christ in our own lives. So um, it, it should be more than merely being unmarried, um, just as I wouldn't say that marriage is simply being unsingle. Um <laughs> So there's a there's a kind of a, a, a an inherent goodness to singleness that the Bible often speaks of in a way I think that would surprise many people today, um, and it's good to see singleness as the presence of of that goodness rather than merely the absence of another kind of goodness. I think often 
men and women in the church, including myself, have inaccurately assumed that singleness is a bad thing, that it's undesirable. Um, but you often speak about it in um, high terms. You speak very highly of singleness. So can you maybe for a moment offer a more biblical perspective of the way that we should view singleness rather than simply viewing it as a bad thing? Yeah, I think one of the reasons we view it as a bad thing is we've um, we've been very discipled by both the culture and the church to see romantic fulfillment as, as the great kind of ideal of life. Um, that's the message of our, our culture around us. The church has slightly Christianized it and just turned it into Christian marriage is the highest ideal. And so therefore singleness can feel to many people as though it's simply missing out on the best um, that there is for us in life. But the New Testament speaks about it in in, in very different ways. Um, Jesus commends singleness in Matthew 19. He was himself single, and if anyone wants to suggest Jesus was lacking in any way, I'd be interested to hear that argument. So <laughs> it, it can't be a way of... We, we can't say that singleness in any way depletes our experience of being human. Otherwise, we end up with a subhuman saviour. So that that's a key thing to realise. And then again, Paul commends singleness in very startling terms in in first corinthians 7 and he refers to it as a gift alongside as referring to marriage as a gift um he puts the two kind of on the same level um and then says there are certain ways in which singleness can even be an advantage so the two things are different and they are gifts in slightly different ways there are things that you can do as a married person that would not be opportunities you'd have as a, a single person but also the other way around um, and I think one of the problems is we we compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage, and we forget that there are ups of singleness and that there are downs of marriage. What would you say are some of those ups or advantages to singleness? Um, there are many. Um, I I mean, the one that always comes to my mind most obviously, because I think it's the one that I most consciously appreciate um, in any given day, is is having a breadth of very deep friendships that I wouldn't be able to have if I was married. Hmm. So there, there may be a, a depth of intimacy I don't experience by being unmarried, but there is a breadth of intimacy I do experience that I wouldn't be able to if I was married. I, I love hmm. having a wide range of very close friends. Um, I, I just wouldn't have the capacity for that if I was married. Um, so that that's one blessing for me just being able to do life deeply with a with quite a, a lot of people um i get to serve in ministry in a way that i i wouldn't be able to if i was married um it, it opens up capacities and opportunities that would otherwise be out of my reach um and it, it's just caused me to reflect more deeply than i probably would have done otherwise on, on what it means to to belong to Christ, what it means for him to be the bridegroom. Um, I think if I was married, I doubt I'll have, I would have had the same motivation to really dig deep into that. Um, and that, that's been very precious to me as well. Hmm. I have to admit that singleness is a topic that I'm not I haven't learned much about or studied much about. It wasn't often talked about in church growing up because it was uncomfortable maybe, or because, um, like you said, the church almost viewed it as viewed it incorrectly and viewed it as a poor thing. So why do you think the church has struggled to communicate the benefits or the highs of singleness to people like myself? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. And it's, there may be a variety of answers depending on, on the different churches we've, we've experienced. Um, and I think it's more of an issue in the States than it has been in the UK. In the UK, we've had a, a sort of tradition of single pastors, um, some of whom have been, you know, statesmen within the, the Christian world. And so there's there's been a category for, you know, being single and a Christian in that context, mm -hmm. serving in ministry, which I think has been less the case over here in America. Um I, I suspect some of it has been to do with as the kind of Christian traditional understanding of the family has been um, 
questioned more and more in our culture. I think we've doubled down by esteeming family and marriage in a slightly unhealthy way. Um, we've kind of sort of made that the big, the big deal in the, in the Christian world. Um, and we've, we've, I think, cultivated church cultures that revolve around families and marriages hmm. in a way that then makes it hard for single people to feel as seen and to feel as though they fit in as well. Um, hmm. So there's, there's a, there's lots of, you know, I, I'm even, even an organization like focus on the family, which I'm sure does a lot of great things, but even the title of it makes me wince a little bit because I feel like the, the focus has been on the family um, for, for decades in a way that's not been healthy the whole time. If a woman was interested in studying singleness and getting a more accurate perspective, biblical perspective, where would you recommend turning in the scriptures first? Well, the, the most sustained treatment of it is in, in 1 Corinthians 7. So that would be a, a great starting point just to work through that that passage. Um, uh, Matthew 19 is a place where, where Jesus talks about both marriage and uh, singleness. Um but what we don't realize just from those two passages is, is what is going on at the level of the whole Bible when it comes to singleness. Because in the Old Testament, singleness is, is viewed largely in a negative way. Um, and the eunuch is, is the person who's outside the community of God's people. Um, that flips around after Isaiah 53, when you have the, the, the servant suffering on, on behalf of, of the others. And from that point onwards, something flips in the biblical narrative, and now both the barren woman and the eunuch are rejoicing. So there's there's a new family dynamic that comes about through the work of Christ, and um, which we then reflect on in the New Testament and realize that there is a type of family creating that goes on as we commit ourselves to the work of the gospel. Um, so, which I think is some of the context for what, what is going on in those New Testament passages. So it's good to read those texts with that kind of overall biblical framework in place. And of course, Jesus then says in the age to come, none of us are going to be married. So there's a sense in which things are, you know, we're, we're in anticipation of what everyone is going to be in the age to come. Can you explain briefly what you mean by that new dynamic? shifting and what that new context looks like yes i mean i'm doing this from from hazy memory but in in the latter part of isaiah for example the woman who had no children is now rejoicing more than the one who had many and i think it's because in christ we we find ourselves i mean paul talks about people like timothy being his son in the faith and so there's a kind of spiritual parenthood the gospel um, invites us into as we seek to serve others in in the the work of Christ. Um, so, and I've I've experienced that myself. There are, there are people I think of as as family who I've discipled, and um, I I don't think of myself now as someone who is a non-parent. In that sense, that there, there have been some very deep spiritual parent relationships that have come about through church and through ministry and that kind of thing um and then we i think we we can then reflect as well on how the great commission of of making disciples of all nations is a way of fulfilling the cultural mandate in genesis 2 so i may not be filling the earth biologically but i am in one sense fulfilling something of that by trying to fill the earth with disciples of jesus so i've i feel less unmarried and less non-parenty as a result of what the New Testament says about the work of the gospel. How would you respond to a married woman who might say that singleness is not a relevant topic for her because she is married and she doesn't need to consider or study it? Yeah, I, I would want to gently point out that um, you are part of a body within the local church family and what affects one part of the body affects the whole body. And so it is relevant if you are 
if you belong to a body of believers that include single people because you have a stake in them being healthy in their singleness and flourishing in their singleness, just as I as a single person have a stake in the families, in the, in the, the marriages in my church being healthy. So hmm. if I hear a sermon on marriage, I don't switch off. I'm thinking I need to, I need to learn how to encourage my married brothers and sisters in this. I need to know how to pray for them and, and how to help them. Um, so if, if such a married woman doesn't care much for the church, then yes, yeah, singleness isn't relevant to her, but then Jesus isn't <laughs> either. Um, the other thing I would say is, and that there's not a gentle way of putting this, being married now is not a guarantee you won't be single in the future. Um, whether through, through bereavement or through divorce. Um, over half of our married friends are going to be single again. Um, and it's better to think through what it means to be single ahead of time rather than when you're plunged into it in, in painful and, and tragic circumstances. So good to think it through now so that as and when or if you do become single again, you've already got some key theological beliefs in place that will help you cope with suddenly becoming single again after having been married. I think sometimes the relationship between married women in the church and single women in the church can be uncomfortable because it's difficult to know how to support one another. So what are practical ways that married men and women like myself can better support our single brothers and sisters in the church? Yeah, that's a lovely question. And it, and it needs to be two-way because you, you need the support of your single friends mm-hmm. as well. Um, and for all of us to do that, I think it means understanding each each other's worlds as well as we can. Um, it, it helps me to, when I'm chatting to married friends, you know, I want to know how I can pray for them. I want to know how, how things are going. And some of what they share may not be stuff I would have intuitively thought of. So um, it's good for me to think, oh, okay, I would never have thought that that was what they needed prayer for. Um, and that will that will be the case for single people too. Um, so again, understanding the ups and the downs in each case um, can help us with this. And it just helps us know what, what the other person needs in a friendship as well. Um, sometimes married friends, I, I underestimate how much they need time with with me as a friend. I'm a, I'm always assuming oh they just want to be with their with their wife, but mm-hmm. they will say, and sometimes their wife will say, you guys need some time together. <laughs> um, so it's good for me to be aware of that and to sort of make sure I'm I'm giving time to that. Um, and it and it will vary from person to person. Some single people will love being folded into family life. Others may that may not be their thing. Um, so I, th- I think just that that real time and honesty is is the best way of helping us all figure out what to do for each other. And no two people are the same. And so what one single friend needs may not map onto what another single friend needs. I found that in my own experience recently, um, my husband and I lead a small group of men and women, and I would say 50% of the group are single men and women. Um, and so I found myself wrestling with this topic of singleness a lot more and trying to figure out how to support them. Um, and initially it, it felt like there was a barrier there. And I re- recognized myself that that was kind of self-assumed and I needed to work through and just realize that there wasn't actually a barrier. But why does it often, in your opinion, feel like there is a barrier between the two groups of people? Have you experienced that yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's perceptive. It's, um, I think it, it it can be for a number of reasons. Sometimes it can be because sometimes you can get a vibe from some married people that they've graduated out of singleness. They've kind of upgraded their life now from singleness into marriage. Um, and so there can be both the phenomenon of the smug married person and the bitter single person. <laughs> uh, and there can be an element of truth to that mm-hmm. in, in each of those cases. Um, but the presence of some elements of that doesn't mean that it's always the case. So not every newly married person is feeling smug and pleased with themselves and not every single first person is feeling bitter about that. But sometimes we can feel as though, oh, you must be 
resenting my marriage or you must be judging my singleness um, when it may not be the case. And let's face it, sometimes we say and do stupid things um, yeah. and say that, that hurt the other and, again, can create a bit of a barrier. What encouragement would you offer a single woman listening who feels limited in her singleness? Yeah, um, it, it's understandable to feel that way. Um, marriage would, would only present you with a different set of limitations. So we're, we're limited either way, and that's that's the way it's meant to be. We're, we're meant to be constrained and contingent on other people and mm-hmm. other things. Um, but there are some ways in which you are unlimited as a single person that your married friends aren't. So whatever the limitations are, don't miss the freedoms as well mm-hmm. that come with being single. Um, I think as well, and I, I, I suspect this is more of an issue for single women than it is for single men, because the, I think the Christian culture tends to treat them slightly differently on this point. But as a single woman, you are not incomplete as a as a Christian woman by being unmarried and not yet being a parent and cer- certainly I think some of the the kind of biblical womanhood stuff can kind of imply well you're a woman in waiting until you get married and become a mother and then you're the then they kind of get to really be a woman um that that's just not the case um those are wonderful ways of expressing the, the gift of, of womanhood but you are already 100% fully complete, good to go as a as a Christian woman who can serve and be a blessing to her sisters and brothers without having to wait until you get married. Um, so your womanhood is already a gift to the people of God and, and to the wider world. Um, so although the church cannot often make a, a disproportional fuss out of the, you know, being a wife and being a mum and those are those are great gifts don't feel as though you're, you're lacking in worth and being able to contribute by not yet being a being married and a, and a and a parent women have for a long time been defined by our roles and that's important we should be um a, our femininity and our womanhood is expressed often in our roles as wife and um mother but where else would you I guess, how would you challenge that idea that we are just our roles and where should we look in scripture to determine what womanhood is? If it's not yeah. just being a wife and mom, what is womanhood? <laughs> yeah, and um, what I'm saying by that is there are roles in addition to being a wife and a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so my understanding from from genesis 1 is god has made us male and female because we need each other there are certain things that that there are a non interchangeable glories to being a woman and to being a man and therefore there's something in the interplay of male and female that all of us need and we we even recognize that in secular culture if there's a a board of directors that is all male, people will sense, hang on, you're missing something by not having a a, a female perspective in there. Um, so we, we recognize that even outside of marriage, there's a there's a there's an interplay between male and female that enriches all of us. Um, which is why I want to say part of the role of being a woman is, is being a woman, um, irrespective of whether you're married or or a parent. Um, your Christian brothers need sisters um so that is part of the role of being a woman is is being a sister in christ um just as part of the role of a man is being a brother in christ um Mm. so it's not as if all the goodies on that kind of interplay are found in marriage um marriage is, is obviously the most heightened context in which that interplay becomes um you know so life-giving but it's not the only context in which we enrich each other by our respective femininity and masculinity. Hmm. In terms of, of how to define that, I'm, I'm hesitant to because it's, I think it's very subtle in the scriptures. We, we share the same fruit of the spirit as men and women, so we can't say, well, gentleness, that's a women's thing and something else is a man's thing because we're, we're all meant to bear the fruit of the spirit. 
But there will be something about a spirit-filled woman that will be recognizably different to a spirit-filled man. Um, and I'm not sure I can put my finger on exactly what that is other than I know it when I see it. Um, yeah, definitely. God, God has made us into two specialties. Um, and if you put a lot of the Holy Spirit in a Christian woman, what will, what will eventually appear is, is biblical womanhood. And ditto with a Christian man. I just I'm hesitant to pin those things down into sort of specific traits because most of those traits are not absolute and they're not exclusive to one mm-hmm. one sex and not the other anyway. Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting. Paul in, in Thessalonians talks about how like a nursing mother, he was gentle mm-hmm. among the, the, the Christians there. I think it was gentle is the word he used, which tells me two things. It means that Paul is associating that trait with, with motherhood, but not in a way that excludes men from being gentle, because here he is mm-hmm. as Paul, a man, saying, and I'm being gentle too, like that. Similarly, he says, we were like a father among you, kind of encouraging you and exhorting mm-hmm. you. Um, so that there may be some observable traits that we associate with men or with women in particular, but they're never exclusive um, to men or exclusive to women. Um, So I I neither want to go down the secular path of saying we're just interchangeable. And I don't want to go down the path some Christians have gone down of saying there's, there's a completely separate category of characteristics that belong to a woman and a separate category that, that belong to a, to, to a man because I think that that is actually going further than the Bible goes in talking about the ways in which we're different. I hope you are enjoying this week's conversation with Sam Albury about singleness, sexuality, and biblical friendship. I do want to pause for just a moment to thank today's podcast sponsor who has helped make this conversation possible, the Dwell Bible app. Dwell is an audio Bible app that I actually fell in love with several years ago during my daily commute to and from work. Dwell's mission is inspired by the psalmist in Psalm 119, who encourages us to daily hide God's word in our hearts. Through a beautiful listening and reading experience of the scriptures, Dwell is a practical tool that makes the discipline of hiding the word in our hearts easy and enjoyable. With over a dozen new recordings, hand-picked voices that will engage and inspire you, and your favorite favorite Bible translations, you are sure to increase your daily Bible intake and memorization of the word with this unique app. One of my favorite new features on the Dwell Bible app is their new read-along experience. If you are familiar with Apple Music's lyrics feature, then that's exactly what you can expect from the read-along at Dwell. Think big, bold text accompanied by beautiful background art that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. I have no doubt that your time in the scriptures will be reinforced and enhanced as you read and listen along to the Bible with the Dwell read-along experience. In fact, studies have actually shown that our ability to recall information is significantly increased when listening and reading are combined. You could call this then a multi-sensory approach that will help you quickly and effectively retain your study of God's Word. I am also excited to share with you that the Dwell Bible team has very kindly offered podcast listeners a discount code so that you too can engage with the Word of God using this unique Bible intake tool. To receive 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life, head over to dwellapp.io forward slash the about her. I personally love listening to the Word of God with the Dwell Bible app each morning while getting ready. I certainly love a good podcast, but nothing beats listening to the Word of God itself. You can find me blending my foundation or curling my hair while listening to Dwell's wonderful listening plans. This week, I look forward to following the early church with a follow the early church plan. Join me in developing a daily habit of engaging with the Word of God through one of Dwell's many Bible listening plans, too. Again, you can receive 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life by heading over to dwellapp.io forward slash the about her. 33% off actually saves you a total of $50 on a Dwell for Life subscription. Thank you again, Dwell, for sponsoring today's podcast episode. Now, let's hop back into our conversation with Sam Alberry about singleness, sexuality, and biblical friendship. What are practical reasons and ways that you personally enjoy your singleness? 
and steward your singleness on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I and I may be in an unusual situation just with the particular opportunities that I have, but mm-hmm. um, I do a lot of itinerant ministry and um, that would be irresponsible if I was married. Um, it, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of moving to the States. I'm in America right now, but I'll be back in the UK later this week, actually, um, for a few weeks. And looking through my, my few weeks back in the UK, there's, there's two different friends I'm going to spend a few days with each. And again, I can do that as a single person. I can, the work I'm doing at the moment is pretty remote anyway. So it's easy for me to just sort of go stay with a friend for a few days, get some time to, to hang out with him and then go and visit someone else for a few days. And those things would be difficult or inappropriate or just ill-advised if I was married or had mm-hmm. kids of my own. Um, so there's there's that kind of flexibility. Um, ministry opportunities, again, I I can be on the road. Um, it's easy for me to, you know, I was just messaging a friend, uh, you know, in the, the minute before I logged on to this, um, <laughs> a friend who's feeling sick today. He lives a couple of hours away, but I was messaging saying him saying, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can get you? And he's fine, but if he needed something, I can get in the car after this and drive two hours and, and go to Walgreens for him. Um, and I, I like the I like the freedom and the flexibility to be able to do that. That, that means a lot to me to be able to drop things if I need to and go be with a friend. Um, and I know my married friends are, are very supportive Um but I also know that you can't just drop everything when, when you've got um, a, a spouse and, and kids and yeah. other things going on. So um, that that is meaningful to me. I would like to transition for a second and talk about singleness and sexuality. Hmm. Related to singleness, a common belief held today is that, especially by secular society, is that if we aren't pleasing ourselves sexually or we're living a life without sex, then that's just boring and unfulfilling. How would you challenge or counter that view? Yeah, it's it's a very prevalent view. Um, obviously, as a Christian, I know that the most fully human person who ever lived was was a virgin. So, again, we we can't say whatever blessing sex is within the right kind of context. We can't say it's something that is fundamental to experiencing kind of fullness of life. Otherwise, again, we diminish who Jesus is. Um, I think I would say that the thing the Bible says we can't live without isn't sex, it's intimacy. Um, we're designed to be to be known and we're designed to be loved. And the Bible actually offers us a, a rich range of ways in which we can experience that that have nothing to do with nothing to do with sex. And at the same time, it's also possible to be having lots and lots of sex and not really be experiencing true intimacy. And, you know, that, that actually, that can be boring too. Um, plus I've, I've known enough married people well enough to know that, that marriage is not a nonstop kind of adrenaline rush of excitement. Um, marriage can be boring. Um, life under the sun can be boring, whether we're single or whether we're married. Um, so I think the view that, you know, well, you're robbing yourself of real life actually minimizes the real life, what real life actually is and over-promises what, what marriage can deliver. Hmm. Um, and ultimately the real life we experience is, is, is in Christ. What are other ways that men and women can experience biblical intimacy outside of just sexual intimacy? Well, friendship um, in the Bible is is a deeply rich category of relationship. We've we've kind of trivialized it in our own kind of cultural setting. Um, within the the people of God, we're we're meant to be family together. Um, you know, the New Testament talks about brothers and sisters, even kind of mothers and fathers in Christ. And we've got to treat that as if it's real um, and not just a token thing. So we should be feeling as though in Christ, irrespective of our marital status, irrespective of whether we have biological children, we should feel as though we are surrounded by parents, siblings, and offspring in Christ. Um, 
So I think those would be the, the, the two main categories and all of us lose out if we, if we overlook them. I mean, it's going to make marriage harder if we're not providing those other forms of relationship and it's going to make singleness harder if we're not providing those other forms of relationship. So I often say that, you know, married people need friends too. This is not just a, a fop to the single people. This is part of how God has designed all of us to live. Marriage is not meant to meet all of your relational and emotional needs. That's to put it on a on an idolatrous pedestal. So those other categories of, of deep relationship, all of us need to to really lean into and to, to embrace. Mm-hmm. I've been convicted by that in reading what you've written about friendship. And I can say friendship is something that that type of intimate friendship is something that I'm lacking and want to pursue myself with other women, other brothers and sisters in Christ. But what are practical ways that women can pursue that intimate level of friendship with other women, especially if maybe that is uncomfortable or unfamiliar because we haven't had that kind of friendship before? Yeah, it can take time. So let, let's allow it to take time and not kind of overpressurize ourselves or other people. Um, because the person who's going to struggle to make a friend is the, is the kind of person who sounds like they're constantly pressurizing you to be a friend. <laughs> um, that can actually put a barrier up. Um, in John 15, 15, Jesus defines friendship along the, base, along the lines of it's, it's based in disclosure. He says, I call you friends because... All the Father has revealed to me, I've made known to you. Um, so what makes a friendship a friendship, and as far as Jesus is concerned, is, is that you've you've opened up. Um, you've been you've disclosed what's actually going on. So that 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 to me is the natural starting point. It can often be a, a tricky thing to know how much to open up. And if you're someone who's been hurt in the past, that there's a vulnerability to doing that. Um, but we're not going to get friendship without honesty and openness and my experience has often been that as I've begun to crack open that the, that door a little bit and shared something a little bit kind of personal often the other person is, has been quick to reciprocate and then you both realize oh okay we can we can talk about this kind of stuff um, as as friends now and that then I find deepens a friendship very very quickly when you when you get down to that stuff um, the heart stuff um, that that deepens a friendship and takes it to a whole another level, um, <laughs> and gives you that 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 wonderful feeling of feeling. Yeah, I I, re- I actually am known by this person. Um, we don't just talk about the superficial thing we have in common. We're actually bearing our our hearts to each other. That's that's the way it's meant to be. But someone's got to make a first move on that, and that can be <laughs> that can be risky. Um, mm-hmm. so it's just trying to think through what would, what would something be that I could share with this person? It may just be, this has been a, you know, when someone says, how are you? It may be, well, I'm, I'm generally good, but yeah, been a bit of a frustration this week. And then see if that kind of cracks open the door. Some people don't really want to have that level of conversation, but other people are really keen to. Would you say that you personally have that level of friendship with a lot of people or are there a select few I would say I have it with quite a few people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a smaller number that I feel like I can share pretty much everything with, but there's quite a wide range of friends who I share most things with, um, mm-hmm. and would share more with if we saw each other more often. Um, I, I, I think I'm wired in a way that I like being pretty transparent. Um, I think I realized a, a while ago that life's just a bit too short to only do the superficial type stuff. Um, and I, I find that boring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm interested in what's going on in people's lives, but if, if it's only kind of talking about the football game or, or something that, that gets old pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say I have a fairly open friendship with quite a wide range of people um and it's great then because there may be i was visiting with a friend last week and we hadn't seen each other for about six or seven months um but because we've because it's a deep friendship even though we'd only spoken like facetimed a 
a couple of times in the intervening period, it was easy to get straight back into it because it's it's based on something that's quite deep. So I don't need to see someone often to be quite open with them. I think that's very unique and something that's not very common. So um, that's something that I would like to pursue in my own life. So I appreciate your... Yeah, it's, it's taken me a while to to get to that point. And ultimately, the, the biggest fuel for this is the friendship of Christ himself. We're, we're simply, mm-hmm. as as we receive his friendship, it actually, we be, we can begin to become the kind of friend to others that he is to us. Um, if if it really is the case that Jesus knows me through and through and it's safe for me to be fully known by him, that just takes down the risk level of me being known by other people. Hmm. Um, it gives me a security. And so I think, well, okay, I'm going to open up to this person. If they hate me, That's that won't be fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, the person who knows me fully is the person who loves me the most, and that's Christ. And that that does give me a bit of a feeling of liberty to then I can, I can take a few more risks with friendship because of that. I have a few questions that were submitted by podcast listeners. Sure. You travel often as a author, speaker, and teacher. How has the local church or the global church supported you as a single man? And in what ways do you see the church, see that the church should support other single men and women? Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've felt very supported. Um, the church I belong to, I I feel as though they get what I'm doing and, and what life is like and understand and are looking for ways to encourage me with that. Um, I'm, I'm looking at ways of, you know, taking people from church with me on, on some of the things that I do. Um, some of the elders have said, hey, we'd love to come with you, you know, if it's something one of us can come just to keep you company and see more about what you do. So that, that's been great. And in terms of the global church, um, it varies. I'm, I'm seeing more places becoming more conscious of the need to, to think well about singleness. Um, mm-hmm. And I felt that support myself. I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll go and visit a place I've never been to and they'll, and they'll say, would you rather stay with people or would you rather have space and stay on your own? Would you like a hotel? Would you like someone's guest room? Um, do you want us to fix up people for you to have meals with or do you prefer to eat alone? You know, some people are sort of sensitive to, and that's sometimes more to do with personality type than whether you're married or single. Um, but I appreciate the thoughtfulness of, you know, we don't want you to feel isolated and we don't want you to feel swamped. But um let us know what what would most work for you kind of thing um and i think there are there are, you know it varies from depending on where you are but i'm i'm seeing in more latin american contexts more african contexts a, a bit more intentionality to think about singleness than there would have been in a in the past few years um I think in some of those more culturally conservative contexts, again, there's there's been a default assumption that, well, of course you'll get married. Um, but I think that a lot of places are, are beginning to see, actually, no, singleness is a thing and we need to, to be a healthy place for singles. So that's been heartening. Another listener asked, are there any passages of scripture or resources you turn to on days that you feel lonely? Yes. Um, yeah, there are actually. I mean, even as something as obvious and, and, and as simple as Jesus saying, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age is, mm-hmm. is meaningful. Um, uh, recently, I've been, I've been studying Song of Songs and really reflecting on how one of the things that that book of the Bible is pointing us to is the fact that our bridegroom, Christ, pursues us. Um, and that that's been good for me to reflect on in, in recent months. I've had a few friends who've um, gotten into unbiblical relationships. Um, and that's, that's felt profoundly discouraging. And when someone does that, they're not saying this overtly, but they're saying kind of in, implicitly that we just don't think singleness is, is worth it. Um, 
And so we've chosen a romantic relationship, even if it's one that the Bible prohibits. So mm-hmm. sing, um, the Song of Songs has been a great antidote to, to sort of feeling the discouragement of that is to think, oh, good grief, no, there's there's someone who is who is pursuing me that, in my case, a, a boyfriend would not remotely compete with. Um, there's a kind of intimacy that Christ is drawing me into that I cannot find in, in even a, a healthy kind of romantic relationship. Um, so I think that that has been significant for me. Um, and, you know, it, it helps me to, to remember that I know some married people who are lonely too. Um, it's just part of life in this world is, is there can be times when we feel lonely, but um, mm-hmm. I'm thankful it's not often that I feel that way. Have you, do you still wrestle with discontentment or how do you fight discontentment when you know that God has placed you in singleness for at least this season and you don't necessarily want singleness? So what encouragement would you have for that woman? Yeah, there are times when I I feel discontent for sure. Um, Not frequently, thankfully. Um, But again, I think I've got to the point now where I've learned how to make singleness work well. Um, and actually I'm just, I'm really enjoying it. Um, but there can still be times when I feel like it's, it's not easy. Um, but I've realized that, that the real contentment is going to come from being in Christ um, because I could feel discontent with singleness, jump into a relationship and then find myself feeling discontent about the relationship. Uh, that's just the way we are because neither of those things is, is going to fulfill us. Um, so the, the way I try and think about it is not trying to make myself consent, content in my singleness, but content in Christ as a single person. Hmm. Um, and those are, those are very different things. So I'm not trying to pretend singleness is all wonderful all the time. Um, but I'm, training myself to think that actually Jesus is wonderful all the time and I can rejoice in him always. Um, so that, that helps me as well. Another listener asked, as a married woman, I often feel at a loss for how to support my single friends who specifically do not want to be single. What advice do you have for me and how can I encourage these friends in a way that is actually helpful? Yeah, that's a lovely question. And again, it would vary from person to person what they need and what support mm-hmm. looks like. For some people, it would be be lots of time, um, and being folded into you know someone, being someone they can do life with will will be the case of what some people need. Others will just need someone to regularly chat to. Um, and I think I I found it helpful when married friends are just honest with me about. Yes, the, the good things about being married, but also when it's difficult as well, um, because it means that, A, it feels like that's an expression of trust if they're saying to me, well, actually, this is kind of difficult right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it again, it just stops me romanticizing and idealizing married life. Um, and again, having been a pastor has helped because I've seen enough rocky marriages on the inside to know that what it often appears to be is very different from how it actually is deep down. Um, so being, being honest with your single friends about the, some of the, the struggles of family life and marriage, as well as the joys, I think will help people. A few fun closing questions. Are there any resources you recommend on the topic of singleness? Of course, you've written... One. Yeah, I don't know if I would recommend my own book, um, but <laughs> there are, I mean, for, for a slightly more theological book, um, Barry Danilak has written this amazing book called Redeeming Singleness. Uh, and he does that stuff I was talking about earlier of tracing the theme of singleness through the Bible and how the, the kind of coming of Jesus just upends the sort of understanding we have of singleness. Um, that's been very good. Um and there's a book by Kate Wharton. I think it's called Single Minded, um, uh, which is very good as well. What are you currently studying in God's Word yourself? Well, I'm, as I said, I'm studying Song of Songs um, and realizing whatever bit of the Bible you're in, you feel like, man, this is the bit we all need right now today in this moment. And I'm feeling that with Song of Songs. I just think in the cultural context we're in, there's a bit of the Bible that celebrates sexuality. And it, it, it's a kind of stuff 
people don't assume the Bible has. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I'm enjoying studying that. Are there any books that you've read recently you recommend on any topic? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a book called God of All Things by Andrew Wilson. Uh, that's been one of my favorite books this year. Um, kind of short devotional chapters, but he takes different different things in creation and shows you something about God's goodness from them. Mm. Um, and it's just really fresh, really, really encouraging. Um, and I just one of the things I've been using to study the Song of Songs is a book called Jesus, Lover of My Soul by Julian Hardiman. And that that has been actually quite life-changing to read. Um so those would be two two recent highlights. Final question, what brings you joy outside of your salvation? So just everyday enjoyments that they are temporal, but they still remind you that life is a gift from God intended to be enjoyed. Uh, going for a hike with a good friend. Very few things to me are, are more joyous than that. Okay. Are there any specific places that you enjoy hiking? In yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm English, so I love English countryside, but particularly... The, the kind of highlands of Scotland, that kind of area. If I can grab a friend for a few days and, and stomp around up there, then I'm a, a very happy chap. I think I would be happy there too. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all the questions that I have for you, but thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I know you are have a busy schedule with traveling and just all of your different speaking engagements. So I appreciate your time and your very insightful answers. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I think Sam Albury might be one of the few podcast guests who could say that his everyday enjoyment is a hike with a good friend in the hills of Scotland. <laughs> Joking aside, though, I also think he might be one of the few people who can speak so eloquently and uniquely to today's topic. I left this conversation more mature than when it began, and I love those sweet kinds of conversations. Again, I cannot speak highly enough of Sam Albury's book, Seven Myths About Singleness. If you want to be further challenged on the topics of singleness, sexuality, and biblical friendship, I urge you to pick up a copy of the book today. I will link this book and the other wonderful books written by Sam in today's show notes. If another specific resource mentioned in today's podcast episode caught your attention, I will have all resources listed and linked on my website, abigailoneal.com. You can find today's show notes, recommended resources, and notable quotations under the About Her tab. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Of course, it is my desire to see these discussions of theology, scripture, and womanhood passed on in order that more and more women may feel equipped and encouraged to love and to live God's good design in their daily lives. I would love it if you would share this episode or the About Her podcast in general with the women in your life. If you enjoyed this particular episode and have a moment or two to spare, I would also so appreciate it if you left a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This is one of the easiest and most effective ways through which you can help spread the word about the podcast. I can't wait to chat more about God and his word soon. Have a great week.